1: Are you ready to talk about our marriage? (laughs) Absolutely. Can't wait. I love it.
0: I thought you were literally opening your mouth to yawn. Well, not yet. or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Welcome to this episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. It is our wedding anniversary. This week, Jeff and I will celebrate 13 years of marriage, and so it felt very natural to me... To make this episode about our love story, you can imagine that he was just thrilled to sit down and talk about all that mushy stuff with me. But it turns out it's not really all that mushy. You know, I've talked about how Jeff and I met, we were friends first, then we dated, then we married. I've told this story so many times in real life, at dinner parties, online. I actually got a sense of deja vu while we were recording. But here's the thing. Even still, in this conversation with my husband, who I wake up with every morning, I still learned something new about how he felt about our early relationship, how he saw us then, how he saw me. And it was just a reminder that we tell these stories differently He sees that time period and our relationship from a different angle. And while I don't always want to constantly be rehashing old stuff, occasionally, like, say, on an anniversary, it is nice to revisit old stories. There are still things to learn from those conversations. So this week, Jeff and I had fun remembering the versions of one another that struck up a friendship back in 2002. But I also want you to talk to a partner or a friend or any kind of significant other about your origin story together. I want you to ask, do you remember how we met? What do you remember about that time? Tell me your version. And then I want you to listen and share and remember together. If you're not romantically attached, you can always do this with a best friend, with a work bestie, any kind of relationship in your life. That has an origin story. I'll be putting some specific prompts on social media this week to start and continue that conversation. I think you might be surprised at how your stories might differ or what stands out to one another years later. It can be a really telling comparison. Now, two caveats for this episode. Jeff uses more adult language than is usually on this show, and also we met on the set of his first film, Jackass the Movie, and so there's many minutes spent on that time period and on that movie set, etc. So what I'm saying to you is that this is not an episode for little ears. We also almost forgot that the mic was on for a little bit, and so we ended up reminiscing about people and places from our past. It does not veer too far off track. I think it all does make sense in the end, but just a light warning that this is an actual conversation between spouses, spouses who have been in quarantine together for over six months. (laughs) And then lastly, the secret posts are going out this week. Secret posts are emails that I send with all the stuff I don't want to put out widely on the internet. It's behind-the-scenes information like, this week, I'm going to let the Secret Post subscribers know the date for the upcoming One Day HH Challenge. There are things in there that are a little more intimate than what I really want to share on a blog post. And then it is also a digest of all of my book reviews, current style and makeup recommendations, and then, of course, announcements and insider info. In fact, over the coming weeks, I will be sharing some stuff in the secret posts that I have never shared before, some things that have been a long time coming. To get on the secret posts list, you go to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret posts, or of course, I'll link to it in the show notes. Okay, now to this conversation with my husband, Jeff Tremaine, asking him, where did we begin? Do you remember the very first time we met? I do. Describe it.
1: The first time we met was at the Jim Henson building. Kermit the Frog stands on top of it. And I was there to meet Trip Taylor and then he introduced me to you.
0: But you actually remember it, or I've just told that story so many times. I remember it. What do you remember about it?
1: Well, it's because we were we were about to start Jack has the movie and so I was getting the team together and I was going to meet Trip, and then I was like oh he's got some cowgirl working for him
0: <laughs> okay I was not dressed like a cowgirl I actually happen to remember what I had on which seems like it would be an unusual thing to remember not because I thought it was so memorable that I was meeting you but I just used to remember stuff like that more than I do now I remember the exact skirt I was wearing it was a silky skirt that I bought when I was studying abroad in England, and I had a white t-shirt on with it.
1: Probably had a cowboy hat and cowboy boots and a thick Oklahoma accent. So,
0: None of those things are true. Maybe the accent. Maybe. Anyway. But why do you remember it? You don't remember anything.
1: I don't know. I just do. Because you're so beautiful. <laughs>
0: you know, I'm questioning if you really believe it. or if, I've told that story no, so many I times. I totally
1: remember it. I do remember it.
0: Like you thought that your future flashed before your eyes? Maybe. And then how would you describe our relationship after that? And just so you know, because I don't think I told you this when I just pressed record on an episode about our marriage. I didn't really tell you how I was framing this up. But I kind of just want to share a little bit of our love story for people who haven't heard it. Our origin story, if you will.
1: Why are you going to do that? It's just going to spoil it for people reading the book. (laughs)
0: A good question. By the way, the book is my per- perception, and what I want to hear is your perception that isn't shaped by my writing this story over <laughs> and over for fifteen years. All right.
1: Well, so after that meeting, Trip came on board, and he brought you on board for what? The first Jackass movie,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I believe you started off receptionist at the front.
0: Yes, I, that wasn't my title. I was a production assistant you but were
1: a PA but you were basically the first person anyone would see as you walked in.
0: Right, and we had security in that building, so I had to buzz everybody in.
1: Right. And then late into the movie you got shifted over to being was it me in Knoxville or just me?
0: You in Knoxville because you your assistant who was my roommate went to med school.
1: Right. So yeah, Megan Bell was our assistant and then You became our assistant. And it was a real step down as far as work goes. But by then, you and I had a pretty funny relationship. What
0: do you mean by we had a funny relationship?
1: Well, throughout the movie, you and I became friends. In particular, I remember in Florida, you were on a pretty significant shoot there, I think. That's where, you know, one, where Ryan Dunn put the toy car up his butt and got an x-ray... And you were actually filming, I believe, the conversation between Bam and Steve-O, where Steve-O explains why he, who was intended to be the guy putting the toy car up his butt, wouldn't do it because it would let down his dad. So you actually were the camera person on that. That's how professional we were back then. And then I was driving the van, I believe, for some reason, and... uh
0: there's actually my favorite
1: part of that story that
0: the director was driving the van. I'm
1: driving the van, and we're in Miami trying to find this X-ray place that one of the few that's going to actually let us shoot. Uh, and then we got lost, and Ryan was so mad because he's sitting there with this car stuck up his butt, and I can't find the stupid place that's going to let him get an X-ray. So, and I don't. Know, I think you and I just became pretty good friends on that trip. We were you were always with me on that shoot.
0: Well, I wasn't always with you for professional reasons. I w- had not moved over yet.
1: No, no. But on that shoot, you were sort of out in the field. That was the first shoot, I think, I remember you being on. It might have be, been the first one you went on. Uh, and we just got such funny footage on that trip. And I think that's where you and I really formed a bond. We were baffled by you. You would just sit in the van and read books, which is not a common sight on a jackass set. And so, I don't know. I think that's where it really started.
0: Yeah. It was on the Florida shoot that I remember, too. In the months leading up to that, when we were just in the L.A. office, I would see you every day because I saw everybody that walked past my desk. But we never really talked. We never spoke. I didn't think you knew my name, even though we had a fairly small crew. But you are not like a real chatty person. (laughs) And back then, you were more shy in terms of you had a tight circle and... No,
1: I'm still the same. It's the same.
0: Maybe. Maybe it's hard for me to be objective about that. But you're not overly talkative of people you don't know.
1: It takes me a minute to get used to new people.
0: And by a minute, you mean months, years, maybe.
1: Right. Years.
0: So on that Florida shoot, which I begged to go on, by the way, and I was the only production assistant. They'd hired some local Florida PAs, But I was the only production assistant that traveled. I begged to go on it. I really wanted to get out of the office and be on the shoots. And so I was really put to work. I was wearing a lot of hats. Mm -hmm. So that might be why you remember me kind of being ever-present.
1: Yeah, but that was, was such a crazy trip, too. It
0: was a crazy trip, and it was. this is a side Jackass story that has nothing to do with our origin story. But I had formed a pretty tight bond with Ryan Dunn one of the jackass guys and we loved each other so much. And we had a real sort of jokey relationship and we were in Florida for Easter over the Easter weekend. And I wanted to do something special for Easter. Like I felt like we should have like a crew dinner or, you know, we should like market. We shouldn't just take the day off or whatever.
1: He, he found the, um
0: He got an ice sculpture of a bunny it was a big surprise because I had made a big deal about having like an Easter.
1: Wait, was it just a bunny?
0: Why We can't say. It was, I, I don't want to describe. This is a family-friendly podcast.
1: It was an R-rated bunny. It was an R-rated bunny. <laughs> made out of ice.
0: And he surprised us with it at the crew Easter dinner that I had like forced us all to have. But everyone was kind of grumpy about and No one wanted their day off to be like, to have this. Holiday dinner for Easter. And then we get there and Ryan had a big R-rated ice sculpture bunny.
1: Actually, it was technically X-rated, to be clear. Okay. But...
0: Anyway. It was
1: a fun dinner. And we miss Ryan.
0: We sure do. We miss Ryan.
1: Okay. That's where it started. And then... After the movie, we rolled pretty quickly into Wild Boys. And you were with that. You were with me, working for me, as we were developing and selling. You were kind of right there through the whole process of getting closing out Jackass 1, the movie, and leading right into Wild Boys. uh,
0: Well, back up, though, because referencing what you already said, after we were done shooting Jackass, the movie, and your assistant went to med school, and I was moved over to be your assistant with Knoxville, just for the final few months of movie release, which is a lot of press and stuff, which meant I traveled with you guys a few times. We oh, went yeah, to, that's
1: right. We went to New York no, no, no. City.
0: You know, I would go with you to all the press you had to do, which back then was, you know, this was 2002, so it was different, like less remote stuff. I don't even mean in COVID. I just mean there was, we did actual a lot of traveling for yeah. the press. And just those little trips where it would a lot of times just be me and you. We were already friends, but I feel like we were, Getting close. And then in the break between the first movie being released and Wild Boys coming together, you bought a new house. Oh, that's right. I
1: bought my house. You really helped me find all the stuff to fill up that big empty house.
0: So we were spending our, like, off time. Right. Hanging
1: out. Right.
0: But completely platonic. Yep. Absolutely just friends. But a lot of chosen time together. Right. Okay, sorry I interrupted you because I just wanted to... Right, yeah, that that was
1: that's important though. I think you're right. Like the house was a big deal because that was the first house I ever bought.
0: So at that time, I was 23, 24. These are the years when I was between 22 and 24. And you were late 30s, we're 13 years apart. You were on your second career in the way that we had met. You were the highest person on the call sheet. I was literally the lowest person on the call sheet. Like, I wish we could show that and just be like, the, this is how far apart this dynamic was. What was- did you think about me in that way? Like, just because we were so far apart in age, in work dynamic and in uh, personality.
1: Right. I, I, I don't know. I like that you, you had a unique perspective on things like the, that I wasn't used to. None of us were like, uh, I don't know, I thought you and I challenged each other in a good way as far as conversations went. And as different as we are, I thought we also gelled very easily. I mean, overall, it was easy. It was, it was fun to make you squawk by saying something shocking or <laughs> showing you something shocking, but which was pretty easy to do back then. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'd say opposite to Tractor was, but in a easy, way easier than it should have been. Or maybe it wasn't as opposite as it seemed.
0: Well, personality-wise, I I think it wasn't as opposite as it seemed. I think we have some real core things in common, mm-hmm. and at the time when we were more overtly opposite, those weren't like immediately apparent. But now, when I look back, it's obvious that we we share a lot of. Right. I don't like the word values. That's a weird word, but that we have a commonality in our spirit, mm-hmm. if you will. But you know, I'm only. 41 now so even if I remember a few years ago in my late 30s being like now if I met a 22 year old (laughs) right now 22 year old seemed like a world away did you not did I not feel like a world away to you
1: I'd say at the beginning yeah and then slowly I don't know we were just so stuck together through all this stuff going through all these experiences so I don't know it didn't seem that world away sometimes it would but in general no. You
0: didn't think I seemed like immature or not very (laughs) experienced in the world.
1: You seem not very experienced in the world in a lot of ways, but not immature isn't the right word, but naive to certain things.
0: Well, also you had had a lot of life experience, but you had never been married. You didn't have kids. You know, they're obviously being in your late thirties, you have more experience in people and relationships and work, but it wasn't like you had, I don't know, was it? Did you feel like you've lived a whole life before me?
1: I did, but also my world was a immature world. It's like, so I was stunted, you know, my, my life was just surrounded by skateboarders and youthfulness, so.
0: That's true. Okay. So you created Wild Boys, the TV show, and asked me to work on it.
1: Yeah, And I mean, you were at the ground floor. I mean, you really helped staffed the whole thing up and did a more million hats in that too. And at first they um, made us work out of the MTV offices, which are all the way in Santa Monica. And you lived pretty close to me in Hollywood. So we would commute. And even though it's only a 20 mile commute, it would take over an hour each way. So we would carpool, just you and I, or sometimes... I don't know, Dimitri or somebody, but it was in general, it was just you and I in the car. And that was more just... Time together. Time together.
0: Two hours a day in the car with somebody is...
1: Well, it's more than two hours a day. It was two hours a day in the car, but it was also all day at work. and there was, It wasn't a big office. It was, you know, it wasn't a long, it wasn't a huge production.
0: I also just want to pause here and remind you and everyone that at that time, I hired... A production assistant who now runs your production company, Shauna.
1: Yeah.
0: I hired her. And then I also hired uh, another production assistant at the time who's now a main producer for you, Barry.
1: You did. But you also hired that guy who wouldn't wear shoes at the office.
0: <laughs> of all, I actually did not hire that guy. But <laughs> so, that guy
1: was around. <laughs> that guy bothered us. Um, So you're. You know, two out of three, I guess. <laughs> but Wild Boys was a crazy life experience for all involved.
0: By the time Wild Boys was in full swing, we had been in a really close friendship. I mean, mm-hmm. very close. Like, I helped you pick the furniture for your home. We were commuting two plus hours a day together, which would just end up being more and more time because we'd try to wait out the traffic at the end of the day and decide to grab dinner. So it was just like we were spending a lot of time. Mm-hmm together. But why was it not romantic?
1: I don't know. I mean, I was trying to do the right thing, I guess. What do you mean? Well, I don't try to have affairs with people I work with.
0: Well, it wouldn't have been an affair. You were single. I was single.
1: Well, I don't know. It just seemed like inappropriate. Did you want to? I mean, I thought about it a few times.
0: (laughs) Because it didn't seem like you wanted to. Like, back then, you did... It wasn't like we were having... This great unrequited love affair, <laughs> which is what I would have wanted. I was sort of desperately in love with you. It did not seem to be reciprocated back then.
1: Well, yeah, I'm a slow burner. No, but I thought you were attractive. And I was just trying, I don't know. I guess I was trying to do the right thing.
0: Did you yeah. maybe not consider me to be a girlfriend material? Because I really wasn't much like your other girlfriends. Like, it's like... Well, and
1: keep in mind, I was also, yeah, just... Coming off of a long term, I was trying not to be in a relationship for a bit too. So
0: yeah, you had a long term girlfriend. That relationship was ending as we met on right. the movie.
1: So, so in that sense, I was mentally unavailable for a while.
0: So when did it turn for you?
1: Um, I mean, it wasn't an instant. Turn. It was it was slowly turning. But I think I was away on a wild boys trip. I was in India, and like then my, my house flooded. You came and just took care of my whole house. And I just realized, like, wait, what am I doing? I've got sort of a perfect situation here. And I'm sort of blowing it. And that's when I kind of realized that we were. But I also realized that if we did anything, like, it was gonna, it was on. If if you'd even just, if the slightest indiscretion happened, it was going to go into a full relation. It wasn't going to be a, a casual thing.
0: And you wanted that or you didn't want that?
1: Well, for a while I was trying to avoid that.
0: But... Yeah, but also, when you say that I took care of your house when you were out of town, that makes it sound like I have this girl that works for me. Like, it sounds like you just...
1: You, you but I don't know, you just were just, did did you went so far beyond for me that it was awesome. I just realized how special our relationship was.
0: That's not a very romantic telling of it. <laughs> yeah. I
1: don't know. I don't have a good romantic <laughs> angle on it.
0: In some ways, like I'm like laughing about that to myself because that's sort of a practical application of it. I mean, I know everything that you're not saying. Like I know all the layers of it, but as we're sort of saying it verbally, in one sense, I'm like, well, that's not the way to tell this story. But in the other sense, I can feel like our relationship is practical in some ways. I mean, it's loving and we're attracted to one another and we're very compatible also what you're saying is like someone that wants to take care of you and that you want to take care of. And that is like a, um, there is a practicality to it. Like in some ways I, I want, you want this big romantic, like love at first sight story, but I really don't want that for myself or for anyone. Like you, you gotta be smart about it. But I don't, I don't
1: mean to say there weren't sparks and there weren't things that it was really truly me trying to avoid being in a Serious relationship at the time, and I knew that instantly if we did anything, it would go right to that. So it was intentionally sort of staving that off. If I, could. <laughs> I don't know, um, but yeah, there is a there is a practical side of us too. I don't know. I, I I feel that that was the best way for it to go in many ways. Just so we grew an important relationship before it was ever romantic. I think that was that was different than any other relationship I had
0: yeah I agree with you. That's what I mean. I'm trying to say, like, oh, that's not the big fireworks story, but really it's the it's a real foundational story yeah
1: it's 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 really a more stronger way for long term I think
0: with sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside. It is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get five dollars off a Lumi starter pack with code U at LumiDeodorant.com. That equates to forty percent off your starter pack when you visit Lumi L-U-M-E Deodorant D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T. and use code U, Y-O-U. Well, so just let me tell my sort of side of it before we get to when our relationship actually made the big change. When I first met you, I was super new to LA and I did not understand the whole like, I don't know how to say this, like successful artist thing. Like I couldn't, I remember looking at you and being like, I don't, this guy looks like not your typical. You had long, dirty hair. You had on like big, dirty, baggy skate clothes and like a beanie and like...
1: I had a beanie on.
0: I think you had on like a wool beanie (laughs) over your dirty hair. And, or it might have been that gross brown hat that you wore for a, a time. But in my world, successful people like looked a certain way. You know, they wore suits or they... If they were an artist, they were a very specific type of like artisty person, like, you know, a Steve Jobs look like they had a turtleneck or they had a, I don't know, I bet you and I was flabbergasted that you were in charge of this really, you know, culture shifting phenomena and like that everyone looked to you like you were definitely in charge of the room and in charge of the meeting and people were constantly trying to get your approval or look to you, you know, and you're, you're quiet in the way that you hold your authority. And I just was, I just had not met anyone like that. I'd never seen that in action. It felt like this Hollywood fantasy to me almost that I didn't even know was out there because, you know, the stereotypes about directors is that they're something different than you. Mm hmm. And it was a whole new world for me, you know, coming from my life to be in the whole jackass world, but also just to sort of see what leadership looks like in a world like that, that prides itself on, you know, skate culture and all this prides itself on its anarchy, but it is not an anarchy. There is a, um, there is a leader and I just had never, I didn't know that it was a whole new thing for me. And I was enamored by it. Not, not at first, not in the very beginning, but as I got to know the guys and you and, I could just see immediately that you were really special. And I remember working on the movie. A bunch of my sorority sisters came out for an L.A. weekend, like a fun L.A. weekend. And I had not been even in L.A. a year, but I was working on this movie. And we all went to a bar. And I wanted them to meet all of our friends and everything. And I said to them, and I'm sure some of them remember this, because I was like a baby child. And you and I had not started even yet on our close, close friendship yet. It wasn't to that level. And I said to them in this bar, I pointed at you and I was like, that one, if that one got on his knee right now and proposed to me, I would say yes. And they were like, what? Because you were the boss. You were way older than me. And I was like, he's special, that one. I remember. And I think that, you know, I know they remember because they brought it up years later, but as much as I said that in the bar, I was also sort of half joking in that, to me, having a crush on you at that time felt like safe and silly, like having a crush on a teacher or having a crush on anything where it's like, oh, that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? that's We're in two different worlds. That's not allowed. That's not appropriate. Like, that's, you know, that's what it felt like to me. So it was almost like funny to joke about. If I'd felt that like deep in my heart, I wouldn't have said it. You know, it was more yeah, just like right, right. me being like, if I had to pick anybody, it would be that one. And
1: Now listen, there is a a lot of anarchy. Don't diminish all the anarchy. There really is quite a bit of chaos and anarchy in our organization.
0: I'm not trying to minimize skate culture or your organization. There is there is everybody is their own form of rebellion. I I will not take away anyone's rebellion. Thank you. That's all I have. But I also remember when you were making this movie for one of the major studios in town, and everybody has this, like, you know, F the man attitude. And I want to be like, Hey, guys, we are the man (laughs) now. Okay? So, like, (laughs) there's some perceived rebellion, and then there's some, like,
1: reality. You know
0: what I mean? That's all I mean. I'm not insulting. I love...
1: Whatever. You know what I mean? Sometimes the best way to stick it to the man is to become the man.
0: Or that's what people tell themselves. Or
1: that's what people tell themselves to (laughs) Sleep better at night as their soul just drifts slowly down the river.
0: Anyway, back to our relationship. I, you know, first it was a crush, then it was a real deep friendship for me. And then after a while, it almost morphed into, oh, is this an unhealthy friendship in a way? Because I was really in love with you by that point. We were a couple years down the road. We spent so much time together we had not so much as like held hands, you know, nothing romantically. And yet I was, as an example you used, that was a turning point for you, taking care of your house when you were out of town. Well, to you, it felt like that was a good thing. But to me, that started to feel like an imbalance of like, oh, like, why am I doing all this for right. someone who is, you know, only sees me as like maybe the girl that works for him or whatever. And it, Right. Was starting to feel unhealthy. We were in, both
1: sort of turning the corner, you in the wrong way, me towards you, and you, <laughs> I see that.
0: And me away. Mm-hmm. And I had people in my life, my mom and my sister, Lindsay, who were a little bit like cautiously saying to me, hey, are you giving too much of yourself?
1: Yeah, because I've seen that in other people where I think it's unhealthy. and
0: Right. So I'd gone on a few dates, but I wasn't really dating anybody. You know, I was giving all of the time that you would have given to relationships to what, to my boss, basically. Who was a friend. You know, I was considering you a friend, but...
1: But we almost, like, all the benefits of being married without being married, right?
0: Right. If it had gone on much longer, I would have, I would have exited. Right. Or maybe I wouldn't have, but I should have. You know, I mean, it was... (laughs) I get it. It took the right... We came to a crossroads, and, and then what happened?
1: Well, then, I don't know. You mean the Burgundy Room night?
0: Well, yeah. So tell everybody about the Burgundy Room night.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It was uh,
0: the Burgundy Room is a bar.
1: I mean, you know, like I said, I was I was starting to drop my guard more, and I threw caution to the wind. We went to the Burgundy Room, and things got romantic. <laughs> and like I predicted, it was all over once it started. <laughs> so
0: by all over, you mean turned into this amazing marriage,
1: right? the single life as we knew it as i knew it was done but it was it was it was right it just it felt right i don't know and sparks flew that night and
0: we found out we were compatible in all the ways
1: right it was awesome and we never turned back so
0: well that's not totally true we've never turned back we've been together since that night but
1: it took a minute to-
0: you Did not throw caution to the wind. Your caution stayed intact.
1: Because you got fired?
0: I did not mean that, but sure, let's take that turn. (laughs) You fired me from the show we were working on together. Yeah. How well did that go over?
1: It didn't go over great. Might not have been the most tactful move, but it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. For you. For me, probably.
0: It was not great for me. For you, it protected you on appropriate and, I guess, legal levels to not be in a romantic relationship with an underling. But for the underling, it screwed me up for a minute, career-wise. And the choice was, well, I could be in a romantic relationship with you and lose my job, which I was living paycheck to paycheck, or I could keep my job and stay working for you, but we didn't wouldn't be romantic those were your boundaries those were your rules and the only hard choice there was for me it's not a hard choice for you it does not it does not hurt you to lose a production it, it manager was, it
1: was a hard choice I don't know I, th- I mean I see what you're saying but it, it was hard on me too in what way well I, I didn't want to let you go you were important to the show we were doing
0: but I was replaceable as a production manager and not replaceable as a girlfriend
1: <clears throat> it was a hard choice though but you know, it was hard on you
0: it was harder on me, and it was it was a long-standing hardship on me.
1: Yeah, but you got to you wouldn't have gotten to work for Snoop Dogg if
0: <laughs> no, your timeline is off. I worked for Snoop Dogg before before Wild Boys started. That oh. was in the in-between time. I went whatever. I went and worked on for Fox after right. I left Wild Boys, but it was a long. I mean, you know, without getting into like spinning off into a tangent on my career, it did end up affecting me in a bigger way, in a longer way, for years, when it didn't affect you after, I mean, it affected you, I believe you, when you say it affected you to make the decision, maybe to implement the decision, but then it didn't affect you again after that, it, but for the fact that I bring it up every few years and want to fight about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, turn the mic off, let's go, let's start yelling. No.
0: <laughs> Okay, so we—that wasn't—I was started on a whole different train of thought, and you made it about work. I forgot about the work part. Um, I forget. I fired you. Well, so the next big milestone in our relationship after we sort of decided to be a couple after years of being friends, and after you firing me, and after our larger friend group, half of them were like, "It's about time you guys have been driving us all nuts," and half of them were shocked, as if. I don't, you know, the most shocking thing had happened. It was a whole big scandal, which neither of those things are exactly true. That it was obvious that it was going to happen for forever or that it was a scandal. It was maybe somewhere in the middle. We had some friend fallout. We had some stickiness around the beginning of our relationship. And two things happened in the first, I don't know, three-ish months. One is that I dragged you to an ex-boyfriend's wedding why did I do that? I'm so sorry I did that to you, baby. In our early, <laughs> earliest days of dating. And then two, unrelated, but these these happened in the same time period. We were eating hot wings at Ye Rustic when you told me what. I don't know. That you never wanted to get married and you never wanted to have children. Oh. Something that you happened.
1: knew I was full of it.
0: I kind of did because I had seen you by that time with your nieces and nephews. You were so into yeah, kids. that was like, just a
1: half ass attempt to keep my guard up
0: you didn't actually believe it when you said it probably not what you've never said that before you have always maintained that you meant it when you said it i don't hardly remember saying it to you but
1: or maybe i was trying to get your goat i don't even remember
0: i think that you meant it in the moment no way you are revising history which is something you get really mad when i do (laughs) anyway i by that time i was 24 Five, I
1: guess. Getting a little long in the tooth. That's probably why I said it. I was still trying to keep my options alive, see if something younger would come along.
0: <laughs> I was 25. You were 38. And so I was, I, my attitude was, well, I mean, I have all the time in the world. Like, you're the one who's going to have to That's right. make that decision. But I also did think you were bluffing. But I didn't think you knew you were, not, bluffing isn't the right word because that would mean you were intentionally doing it. I did think, oh, he doesn't even know what he wants. Like, I thought you did want a family. You just were trying to, like, hedge your bets against it a little bit. So we dated. Wasn't perfect. I actually will maintain to this moment that our dating relationship uh, was harder than our marriage became and is. I don't... I think that's backwards. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. I don't think that that's how it should feel or be. But in our story... We had a few things working against us in our dating relationship. The work career staff was a constant.
1: um, Yeah, and I think that's where our differences in life experience and stage in life professionally was probably at its most dramatic. Right. And working against us.
0: It was working against us because I was trying to get a career going.
1: Right. So, And as you already explained, me firing you affected you more than it did me, which is true.
0: And I didn't let it go. So it was sort of like an undercurrent. Well, it's not that I didn't let it go in my defense. A few, like you started to make the second movie, the second Jackass movie, of which I'd been a huge part of the first one. I was not allowed to work on the second one. So these things kept coming up. It wasn't right. that I was nagging about it, it was like this same issue was a real undercurrent for a few years yeah. of me feeling held back or me feeling like I had to choose between our romantic relationship and the better career moves for me, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that was, that made me grumpy. That made me like bitter, like sort of resent. I had a lot of resentment around that. And so I would say something not nice to you. And, you know, that was, that was.
1: It was definitely a strain on our.
0: It was a real strain for a long time. And then the other main strain of our dating relationship was because you had taken this stance at the beginning that you never wanted to get married and never wanted to have kids. That I had a lot of insecurities then because I did want those things and. So for me, it was like a ticking time bomb of our relationship was just in this, like, not so distant future where I was going to have to choose. We were either going to implode because this was what I did want for our our future Mm -hmm. and you didn't. So I was constantly thinking, when are we going to break up? Like, when is this going to be over because of that thing? So I had a lot of insecurities. I do think that's a little bit of an immaturity of like, I was trying to like plot and convince you to marry me and, or I was feeling insecure around the fact that you never wanted to get married. I took that personally, even though I think when you were originally were saying that you just meant that as a choice for you in your life. But I was taking it as like, I don't want to marry you or I would never want to marry you. And so, I mean, that is the highlight of the imbalance dynamic, both professionally and personally. I felt like you held all the cards of control for our relationship and our work, and I that made me act like a psychopants. I mean, I'm actually glad that we stuck it out because those two things could easily be a recipe for the end of our relationship. Mm-hmm. Because I I can think of things I said back then and sort of some of the behaviors I was trying to like manipulate outcomes, and I was just not being. I was definitely not <laughs> tapped into my core self. <laughs> And you wouldn't, you weren't having it, because when you aren't having it with someone, you you don't lean in, you lean out. Hmm. I don't think that would have was bad necessarily in that situation, but we just we were not. There was no peace around those two things for a long time. But then, what finally made you decide that you did want to get married? Because that's when that's when it changed. And again, I don't think this is you know if you're in a relationship with some things like we're talking about. I do not think the solution has been to get married. I really don't. But what made you think? Change your mind on the marriage thing.
1: Well, aside from all of that dynamic, we still had a a good. I mean, I really like being with you, and it was just sort of me coming to terms, of, like taking that next step. It was that was always a big fear for me. I don't know. I just finally, and I think you were starting to like. I was either, it was a, it was a shit or get off the pot moment, right? And uh, and it was overdue, and I finally just braved up and realized like this, this is what I want. So you know, it was me growing up quite a bit too and realizing that this is what I want. And so? And you know, in a lot of ways you were strong and holding your you know, it was there was it was a lot of strength on your part too that, that made me realize like, yeah, you know, I gotta do this.
0: Well I wasn't bluffing.
1: No, well, I know, clearly. I mean I, I, I knew you weren't. And you rightfully weren't and I didn't want to lose you. And so it was it was a nudge for me in the right direction. But I, I, I but it wasn't out of... It is what I wanted. I just had to get over it. hmm So.
0: And I think that after some of the insecurities and stuff, when I got to a place of strength, like you're saying, when I got to a place where I was like, okay, what do I want for my life? And I have to be okay if this is with Jeff or if it's with not. The desperate energy around it, the needy energy around me sort of nagging you, are we going to get married? Are we going to get married? blah. Blah, blah. When I sort of truly let that go and been like, you know what, I'm gonna get married right. in right. my life to somebody. Right, right. So he's he either is or he isn't. When I came to that place inside myself where I didn't need you to make that decision. And I was not gonna let only you make that decision. This wasn't like the work situation. Mm-hmm. You didn't hold all those cards. Like you, you know, in the work dynamic, you had different things at stake that I did, and you know, it was it's different. In the personal dynamic, I, get, I took some of my own power back. Mm-hmm. Not that you had ever stolen it, but in, for, within myself, I mm-hmm. took my own like life power back to be like, okay, I want this for my life. I need to be okay with that it might not be with Jeff. And when I got to that place, I do feel like the energy shifted between us where I think you realized, oh, I, I wasn't bluffing.
1: Yeah. It got a lot more fair, right? I like got, definitely got more even.
0: Yes. More even. That's a good way to put it.
1: And, uh, in a good way.
0: Well, and that's why I think our marriage has been more successful than our dating relationship years. Not all things are even by any stretch. There is still some deep imbalances and sometimes those cause, you know, fights or insecurities or whatever. But I did feel from the moment we got engaged, not like a magical moment, but from that era of getting engaged on, like... We were standing on equal emotional footing. Like our relationship was spiritually and like as a vision of what we both wanted, was a, as a partnership. That's a good word. As a partnership was a lot more fair. Okay. So that's our love story. And then everything else has been perfect and <laughs> happily ever after. <laughs> no, but really, that is, that's our origin story. That's what I wanted to tell here. And, you know, I like people encouraging people to talk about these things. And like, even if you've been married, however many years, we've been married 13 years. And I still like enjoyed having this conversation with you of how did you see it? And it's funny because if we had recorded this conversation, I don't know, 10 years ago when we'd been married three years, facts are all still the same as right. everything we just discussed. And I feel like we would have maybe told that story differently.
1: Right. Maybe.
0: I got some listener questions I want to answer. There's some sort of quick, fun ones, and then there's kind of a bigger one at the end that we're going to go through. Does that sound good?
1: It sounds great.
0: <laughs> Tammy asks, where did you go for your first date? I remember, do you? Our first date after we were a couple, officially a couple.
1: Um, Saddleback Ranch? Is that one? Right?
0: <laughs> no. I know what you're thinking of.
1: <laughs> Brunch? <laughs> That's...
0: Um- that's not what I'm counting. It's our first date.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Where, where did we go on our first date? You
0: know, if you live in LA, I know that you just busted out laughing that Jeff just said our first date was at Saddle Ranch. This is a like touristy place with a mechanical bull. We did go there for brunch one time <laughs> early on. Our first official like, no, let's have a date as a couple was at the Palm or Lobster. And that was a very fancy, expensive dinner. And so I was, impressed by you, babe. But also at that same dinner you told me that in one of your past relationships that you never ever fought. That relationship never ever had fights. And I was like, Oh that's well, I hope that's not the standard to which you're going. We were already good friends by then, but I just knew I was like, Oh, that's
1: a yeah, well, we, we friendship we'd have more fights than
0: I remember that specifically being like, Well I hope he doesn't think that's that's oh, going to go with me.
1: Well, we don't fight much, though.
0: We don't fight much, but we don't not fight. Yeah,
1: we don't. Yeah, but we don't fight
0: much. I think we have a we have about two doozies a year.
1: Yeah, it's not that much.
0: That's not that much. Mary asks, "Do you have specific things each of you do, chores and kid stuff, or do you each see what needs to be done and step up when the other person is lacking?" Mm-hmm. And then she asks two more that are quicker. Do you go on vacations as a couple without your children? Yes, we do. I mean, we haven't in a long time.
1: <laughs> do we? Um, <laughs> we do. We have, yeah.
0: We have. Not, not like yearly, but occasionally. Okay. And how do you best communicate with each other? Okay, so let's talk about chores first and then communication.
1: Chores. Um, I don't know that we have specific chores per se.
0: Um, we have strengths and weaknesses. Well,
1: we have strengths and weaknesses. Uh, that's what I was getting at. Like, I think there are certain things that you do better and that I do better. And, but I think we're also nimble to, because we have a somewhat unpredictable life, that, uh, unpredictable work life. That means, you know, sometimes you've got to do everything. And and sometimes I'm at home a lot, and then I try to do more, you know. so.
0: Well, the good thing about being able to divvy up chores and responsibilities is that neither of us has ever played the helpless one. So you have never played that card of like, I can't possibly keep the children for the weekend by myself. I mean, you've never tried to say that. And I've never tried to be like, I don't know how to do the thing. You know, we are both aware of the other's capabilities and we can stand up if we need to. But I think that makes it easier to be like, you are better at this will you do it? Or I don't love doing this, will you do it? Versus like, you know, when anyone has ever tried to be like, I don't know how to make dinner, then the other one would be like, Google, I don't know what to tell you, figure it out. Drive through McDonald's. (laughs) I mean, we've never had that exact issue. But you know what I mean? Like, no one has ever played a um, helpless card between us. We're both fiercely independent in that way. But also we have definite strengths and weaknesses and you are actually better at tasks and I am better at sort of big picture tone setting and how things feel and what do we want out of this weekend? <laughs> Let's set an intention. Like I feel like I am good at that in our life and you are better at like literally giving the babies a bath when we had babies or making breakfast in the morning. And lunch, which you do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I pretty much handle the morning with the kids. Mm-hmm.
0: And I feel like I do a better big picture. Like I keep the schedule. Like I keep all the trains running. I keep all Absolutely. the to dos going. Like oh, we need a snack for Friday or whatever. Like I keep those kind of things going. And you are better at daily well, tasks. Doing clear.
1: you, you run the family. <laughs>
0: well thank you for saying that but i actually think that you do a lot of stuff that i don't like to do i don't like to do mornings and breakfast and all of that i'm not a morning person and i but i've never had to put my foot down and like refuse to do mornings like you you just do it that's what i mean i feel like you're better at sort of daily tasks and i'm better at everything else (laughs) just kidding but not really um how do we best communicate with each other
1: well, you just pin me down and make me talk.
0: That's not a joke. I really do do that.
1: I know you don't. Like say it.
0: Do you hate that I make you talk?
1: No. I appreciate it.
0: What happens when we've had a misunderstanding or something and I don't make you talk? I go into a silent treatment, which I do is a default of mine.
1: Yes, you do. I'm usually the one that has to break the ice on that. Like
0: almost 100% of the time.
1: Almost 100% of the time.
0: Okay. That's how we communicate everyone. Take notes. <laughs> Alyssa asked, what would you say is the best gift you ever received from the other?
1: I've gotten some pretty good stuff from you. You're really good at birthdays and Christmas. What specific gift? Help me on that.
0: I think I've done two. The two best gifts I've ever given you were the Bakersfield birthday. Right.
1: That wasn't a gift.
0: That wasn't a gift.
1: Right. I mean, I guess. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like you've thrown these epic birthdays. Like, like the my, and then Cabo Cabo was insane. And, and the yes, the Buck Owens party was crazy awesome.
0: I threw a party for your probably that would have been your that was not your 40th, was it? Where we took a big bus.
1: The Buck Owens party, I think, it was my 40th birthday.
0: We were not married yet, right? No, because we were 41. You were 41 when we got married, yeah. so maybe this was the year before that. And we did, I rented a bus. And our friends, we went up to see Buck Owens in Bakersfield, which was a fun birthday. And then for your 50th, I planned we it We had
1: this crazy house in Cabo and got everyone to show up.
0: We had a fun weekend with friends in Cabo. And that was one of the more memorable trips of my whole life. And so yeah. I feel like those those are experience gifts Yeah. that I have given you. What's the best gift you've ever given me? I don't know. What do you think? I'll tell you the best gift you ever gave me. Well, I mean, you've given me some really beautiful things, so I hate to narrow it down, but this one came to mind. After the third jackass movie, our daughter was a baby, and that had been a little bit of a tough year on us just because you were working so much. We had a baby. Some factors were happening. And after that movie, several months, you know not like immediately, you gave me a beautiful pair of earrings. and it was a complete surprise. It was a very generous, beautiful. Gift And I was not I had not hinted at it like I sometimes do if I want something. And it was out of the blue. And it was very thoughtful because you were just like, I know we sort of survived this year, this project, you know, good job. And for me, in very early motherhood that I was struggling with and I wasn't working, we've already (laughs) gone at length at the various work issues that are there. I felt really seen by you when you were like, good job, like we did this, like we made a movie and had a family. And that was the beginning of that journey for us of finding that balance. And I felt like with a completely unprompted gift of, again, like we're saying, equal playing field, like I felt like you really saw that I had pulled my weight that year.
1: Yeah.
0: Even though it's easy to see what you bring to our family in terms of, you know, bringing home the bacon, if you will, and... All of this kind of thing to come out of that first year and feel like okay, I did it too. I, I.
1: Well, yeah, because like think about like my strange career is it's peaks and valleys. It's not consistent. Like, so you get used to one thing, and then all of a sudden, I'm home all the time, and then I'm not home for or not mentally home for a chunk of time. So it's it's peaks and there's it's hard to get your ground and hard to we both need to be nimble and it's both of us picking up. After each other in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Sometimes the bigger projects, the movies, are hard on a marriage, and not not complaining. There's so many benefits to being able to work the way that you do, and then being able to be home for six months. You know, and there's so many benefits to having a freelance lifestyle. But you know, it's a strain. It's a strain when you
1: especially because you get used to one thing, and then all of a sudden you have to just totally flip it on its head.
0: Right. Helen asks, how has he learned to handle or respond well to your anxiety? My husband feels like he doesn't know what to do or say when I'm having a hard time, and so he says nothing. You and Helen's husband. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, that sounds like the best. Yeah, he he knows what to do, just like me. (laughs) That sounds exactly like me.
0: What do you think about it when it's happening?
1: I mean, I try to help you with what I can, but in general, there's not much I can do about it.
0: I've gotten better at voicing what I need and how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Actually, I feel like I've gotten even better in the last year, even like recently, have I gotten better at saying, I'm not feeling great, I'm having some anxiety today. We're used to, I would not say that until it was like code nine. Like we were in crisis, you know, kind of, I'm really in a dark place. I would wait until I got, it got so bad for me to say, I need help. I'm not feeling well. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the. Maybe you could see it. I'm not sure if you could see it, but I would definitely not voice it. I would just hold it in and try to handle it. And now I'm a lot more confident in saying just for the ins and outs of regular daytime anxiety to say, "Hey, I just I felt anxious when I woke up this morning. You know, can we order takeout for dinner?"
1: Or I've right now. Well, you know, if I know that you're not in a great space and you need some quiet time, I'll try to get the kids out of your hair or do something that. You know, I try to accommodate you best I can.
0: Yeah, you do all that. And sometimes you make suggestions on the things that you know help me. Like when you're like, you need to go to bed earlier. Like you're not getting enough sleep. Sleep is a huge anxiety trigger for me. So if I'm overtired for a chunk of time, especially, and then I'm anxious, you will sometimes remind me that.
1: But in I'm, general, I'm probably pretty, not the best vocalizer. No. For you.
0: But I don't need that from you. It's more helpful to me that you take the kids for a day at the zoo or whatever and give me some time. That's not for deep. I'm not giving deep mental health mm-hmm. advice here, everybody. But I am saying for me to be able to to give the daily updates, the weekly updates of, you know.
1: Yeah, like I think over time, well, you know, I see we, we've learn that this works for you and so I try to accommodate you.
0: It's just better to do it this way instead of waiting till it's really bad and then we're in a bad way for a month of Mm -hmm. me recovering or you know that's that wasn't a good cycle and that would happen a few times a year where I'd have a really bad few weeks migraines you know I get where it's you know I'm grumpy I'm weepy it's those are not good rhythms for a family it is easier for me to say on these smaller things like I'm I need a few hours. I need to sleep more. Can we not go to this event because I'm
1: yeah.
0: already on shaky ground? Whatever, that kind of thing. Okay. That's a, that's a whole episode in itself. Okay, two more. Do you think you guys will stay in L.A. forever or might move to a smaller town eventually? Julie asked that.
1: I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I can't picture leaving L.A. And sometimes it seems like it would be awesome to be in a small town. The fact that we have a second home home in a small town on a lake, we sort of get to check that box every summer.
0: We get to pretend we live in a small town for a minute.
1: Right. <laughs> and uh... well,
0: I think it's okay to say this. When we got married in 2007, we got married in Savannah, Georgia. Jeff's parents lived there at the time, and we both loved visiting there, and it has beautiful style, and we didn't want to get married in L.A. We had an amazing wedding weekend. But also, one of our thoughts at the time truly... Down the road, thinking in decades, thinking when we had a family, this might be a place where we might end up. Mm -hmm. And even after we had kids and they were little, I remember thinking, okay, it's fine to have babies in LA, but I don't want to have like little LA teenagers. Like eventually when they start to be preteens, we need to think about how we want our life to look like what we would want for those decades. Mm -hmm. Well, and I really thought that, and we would talk about that loosely without a, a... specific game plan, but we would talk about that loosely. And then in 2016, that was a difficult year for a lot of reasons. Um, We actually, we had a few difficult years in a row and kind of culminating in 2016. And I felt like the country made a big change then. And I had been the driving force of eventually we're going to leave LA. Eventually our family is going to be somewhere else. And then suddenly... I was the one who said, P.S. We are never leaving Los Angeles. Right.
1: But it's not so simple as that, too. It's beyond that. You found a community of friends that you didn't have, that you were missing.
0: That's right. That was all happening the same year, though, basically. Right,
1: that's what I'm saying. Like, it okay. wasn't
0: all about... I'm not saying this is all there's, about... There's a lot... Politics. Of, um, but I started to feel like a real Californian. Even though at yeah. that time I had been in California for 15 years, but that was the year with mm-hmm. community. You're right. I was meeting mom friends and finally felt like I had felt, found like-minded women in the city mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, this is felt very like I was in the right spot for yeah. for not the first time, but really solidified that. And then combined with. Uh, some election stuff, some family stuff, like just some outside factors. It, it was definitely 2016 when I looked at you and said, heads up, I've changed my mind. We're Californians. <laughs> and you, But you agreed.
1: Well, I've, I've been a Californian my whole life without being a Californian my whole life.
0: I know, but you were open to the eventually we won't be. And then yeah, when I said... I think I'm changing my mind on the big picture you were right there with me and you know what that might change again by the way that's
1: why why I I mean we can say whatever we want right now and ask us the same question in six months and we'll see if the answers change
0: because we sometimes do flirt with like if we visit somewhere cool or whatever to be like oh what would it be like to -hmm. make a life here I like that we sort of stay open to it but in my heart I feel like this will be home base if we If we choose to do something else ever, I guess I won't be shocked, but I feel like we'll always have some roots here. Yep. For real. Okay. Then this is the last one, and I saved it for last purposefully. Karen asked, our couples therapist asked us this question a few months ago, and it has stuck with me. What would you tell your newlywed self about navigating your marriage and relationship, knowing what you know now? So our newlywed selves would have been 13 years ago. We would have been... 27 and 41 27 year old Laura. seems like a long a mm-hmm. long time ago.
1: <laughs> I think this is a better question for you since I was like part of that's tied to one of the luxuries we've had of and it's the fact that I've I'm older and already had my career and success. So it took a lot of the strains that early married couples have to go through the financial strain wasn't there like the career you know, like I was already kind of... So it's really you finding yourself more than both of us. Like, navigate, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that has taken a lot of pressure, like, off of us. Mm-hmm. That is high stress on a lot of other couples. Mm-hmm. And so...
0: I think I would tell my newlywed self... And this is as much about just 27-year-old Laura as it is newly married Laura. But that... You do not have to do all this alone. There is no golden prize for having done it alone. I think there are some things in our life that took me a long time to figure out that I could ask someone else to help with, that we could hire help with, that I felt like in the beginning I had to prove my worth a lot. I had to prove that it was worth you marrying me. I had to prove that it was worth you making the reroute because you're the one who Conceded to marriage, if you will. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I felt like in the beginning, I had to constantly prove how worth it I was. How amazing I was. I could handle everything on my own. I could look hot. I could be nice to people in our life that didn't deserve being nice to. Because I was like a perfect wife of like, I tried really hard in the early years to be like, make you never question this decision. I knew you loved me and I was feeling a lot more confident, but there are some things, some decisions I made and some ways that I behaved that if I could go back, I would have said, you don't have to do that.
1: No, he's- I disagree completely. I <laughs> wish you'd get back to those days.
0: Shut up. No. I wish that I could say, he's already chosen you. Yeah. Like, he already loves you. You can just stand in your own worth. I didn't have to... In some ways, not all, oh, I wasn't like a complete separate wife or anything, clearly, I'm still me, but in some ways, I did you know I tried to play a different role mm-hmm. I think than was needed or necessary, or maybe even that you noticed if you didn't even notice, and in some ways, I think you maybe didn't necessarily, then it was just a sacrifice of myself for no reason. I wish I hadn't done that in in some situations, but that's what I would tell my newlywed self, is you don't need to constantly prove your worthiness to be married to your partner or to others. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know I felt so passionately about that. I feel like I could go write a whole essay about that <laughs> right now. <laughs> Get to it. Babe. I'm glad you came on the show.
1: I'm sure your audience is. I'm sure I've been super insightful.
0: <laughs> do you know that what we're going to record next? No. We're going to do a whole episode about...
1: Fishkeeping? I got you. no
0: you can start your own podcast for that one of the bonuses for my book is going to be some behind the scenes interviews and some secret interviews that I don't want to be public unless you've already purchased my book and one of them is going to be us talking about why I wrote about so many ex-boyfriends in my
1: book great (laughs) let's do it (laughs) bye everybody (laughs)